Hey, welcome to the online ministry at Coastal Community Church. I want to thank you so much for checking us out, and we're so grateful that these sermons online are benefiting uh, your spiritual growth. Uh, but one of the things we have a deep conviction of at Coastal Community Church is that you're a part of a local church. And so uh, while we want these sermons to supplement your spiritual growth, we also want to encourage you to find a local church. So if you're in our community, we'd love for you to visit us. Check us out. We're on 101 Village Avenue in Yorktown, and uh, we have three service times on Sunday morning that you can see if you can be a part of our community. The service times are 8, 9.30, and 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, and so we'd love for you to visit us. Um, when you visit us this summer, we're going to be doing a, a new series called One, and uh, we're going to be taking our church body through uh, the letter of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that Paul writes a letter to the church of Corinth. And the letter is written because Paul is horrified to find out that this church is not unified together as a body um, to make Jesus Christ famous in their community. And I find that interesting because we we live in a culture where I think sometimes we're uh, shocked when a church is working in unity. And so that's what we want to be, a coastal community church. We want to be a church that works in unity uh, so that we can better uplift the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I hope you'll join us for this new series as we go through 1 Corinthians. The series is called One. Good morning, Coastal Church. It is great to see you. Do me a favor. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and uh, we're continuing in our series called One. And uh, I, uh, man, I have felt the burden of this sermon all week. Um, it, it just, it's weighed on me. So I hope that it, um, the truth comes across <laughs> Uh, and and I'm just I'm eager to preach. I'm eager to unpack the word. I hope it challenges you as as this text has has challenged me this morning. I, I don't know if you've ever um, baked anything, right? It, it's always fascinating to me. The, the time, the few times I've baked, and I have baked some things before. Uh, if you misread uh, how much baking powder you have to put in a in a in a uh, in a baked good, have you ever done that? You put a little too much in you. You know, tablespoon, teaspoon. I get confused with those. You know, they all they all look the same to me, especially when you can't see anymore. And you get the little thing out, and you see a T and a one, and you're like, "Oh, it must be close." You know, and you put too much in, and what happens? It just bubbles all over your oven, right? And it's always amazing to me that tiny extra amount of product, you know, makes a tremendous difference in the baked good and, and how much you actually get out of it. And and this morning, Paul here has, has been answering a question that started all the way back in chapter 8, where he's been going through this letter to this church of Corinth, and he's been answering their questions. And the latest one is, you know, what about, what about meat that's sacrificed to idols? Are we allowed to eat that? And so Paul now transitions... To, Verse 8, he talks about, chapter 8, he talks about freedom. Okay, last week he talks about, hey, the, the, the goal is for my, me to give up my freedoms for the cause of the gospel. And then in chapter 10, he kind of summarizes, he starts with this idea of idolatry, and then he summarizes. And so unfortunately, you're going to kind of get a, a mix this morning of the last two sermons and a summary, you know, uh, of what Paul's saying about idolatry, and then a summary this morning. But I hope that it challenges you. And one of the things I want to encourage us with, and I will tell you this, if you're here this morning, you're not yet a Christian, uh, I'm kind of preaching to those that are Christians this morning. I want to address those of you who say, yes, I'm a Christian. That makes me a part of the church of Jesus Christ. I'm a church member or, you know, I'm in the church. I'm preaching to the church this morning. And what surprises me and what I think we as church, as Christians, we have to be cautious of is, man, just a little bit of worldliness can really influence the whole thing. 
It can influence your life at very deep levels if you're running your life through the grid of the things of the world instead of the grid of the word of God and the truth of God and the character of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage us, man, we have to have a biblical grid with which to live our lives. Because worldliness has a big impact. And so Paul here, in answering this question, he actually backs up a little bit. He backs all the way up to the Old Testament. He backs all the way up to the life of Moses. And and you have to know your Old Testament a little bit to understand how Paul's illustrating here. He backs all the way up to Moses leading the people of Israel out of captivity from Egypt and in leading them to the promised land. And he uses their story and their journey as a warning to us as believers that just like many of them fell in the wilderness and never saw the promised land as Christians, if we allow the world and idolatry to influence our thinking, then it will change things for us. Now, you're saying that a Christian may not be saved. I'm not necessarily saying that. This goes back, actually, Paul here uses very much the same illustration we looked at last summer going through Hebrews. What he is doing is he's warning us as believers to make sure that our hearts are captured completely with the gospel of Jesus Christ with a heart that's focused on God alone. And so he gives us a warning here of the danger of idolatry. And he's using Moses as the example. And he's saying we need to worship Christ and Christ alone. Hearts need to be captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 5, Paul says this. Nevertheless, so again, he's illustrating with Moses and how the people build an idol, a golden calf. He says, nevertheless, most of them... God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, let me put this in context. He's illustrating to this church who are followers of Jesus. He's saying, listen, God delivered his children from Egypt, but most of them didn't reach the promised land because they didn't trust and they didn't believe in the promises of God. Now, most of them is extreme exaggeration. Actually, none of them reached the promised land except Joshua and Caleb, right? The rest of them, he said, you're not making it because you've seen me work, you've seen me work, you've seen me work, plagues, parting the Red Sea, manna, water from a rock, the list goes on and on, my provisions for you, yet you grumble and you complain and you rebel against the leadership of Moses who is a type of Christ, And this is a firm warning to us as believers that our hearts need to be captured by Christ. And he says, just like they were overthrown in the wilderness, God was not pleased with them, even though they were the children of the Lord. And I think this is a stern warning to us as believers. You can be a Christian, you can have one foot in, maybe one foot out, but maybe God's going, man, you are missing it. And so Paul, let me, by the way, let me, we're going to talk about idolatry here. Let me define idolatry this morning. Idolatry is any false God. Because I think when you hear idolatry, you think, well, Pastor Sean, I don't, you know, I think of a little wooden carved image right in the corner of my house that I do some religious activity, bow down or whatever. No, that's not idolatry. Idolatry is any false God, it's any object of our affection, which could be a car 
or a house or a person. It's any untrue idea. It's any untrue philosophy. It's any habit. It's any occupation. It's any sport. It's anything that, is pri- that our hearts have primary concern above Jesus Christ. It's anything that distracts our trust in Jesus Christ alone. Idolatry, even in the Old Testament, has always been about the affections of our heart. It's always been, am I willing to submit to God and to his word and to his ways? It's never been about little wooden statues. Idolatry has always been about the affections of the heart. Ezekiel the prophet in verse chapter 14, verse 3 says, God says, son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts. And this morning I want you to ponder, man, what has the affections of my heart? Where's my heart engaged this morning? And is it engaged with with Christ and Christ alone? In fact, Paul, continuing with this illustration of idolatry, he's saying the overflow of idolatry then leads to particular sins. So the greatest sin is, man, I'm worshiping something. My heart's affections are captured by something other than my creator and his path that he's given us to connect with him through his son, Jesus Christ. So if my heart is is captured by anything other than Jesus Christ alone, it's idolatry. And then the particular sins of idolatry show up and the nation of Israel is, is a wonderful illustration to us. And as I read through the particular sins of the nation of Israel, I read this and I said, man, these are the particular sins of the church of America. I think that's why Paul's saying to the Corinthian church, like he's saying, these are the particular sins. And by the way, you're going to see that some of them, as I unpack them, you're going to say, man, we already talked about this a couple weeks ago. Yes, because Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, all the particular sins that you're struggling with is an overflow of your heart not being captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then therefore you're an idolater, which leads to these particular sins. Okay. So let's look at the particular sins, that is, which is the overflow. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, Paul says, Now these things, all these this examples of the Old Testament, they took place as examples for us. Why? That we might not desire the evil as they did. So what's the overflow of idolatry? Number one, you ready? It's sexual sin. The overflow of idolatry is sexual sin. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 7 and 8. Paul says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. What's he talking about there? Again, you have to know your Old Testament. What's he talking about there? He's talking about when the nation of Israel was saved from the rule of Egypt, they go through the Red Sea, they get out into the wilderness, they're heading towards the promised land. Moses goes up to commune with God on the mountain, which is where he gets the 10 commandments. While he's gone, the people make an idol, they make a golden calf. And so during this party, this worship of this golden calf, the the text says they rose up to play. It's very obvious that it's sexual sin. They begin to indulge their flesh in sexual sin. And that very day when Moses comes down, they're condemned and 23,000 are are killed because of their worship and their idolatry. 
And Paul here is saying to the Corinthian church that sexual sin was a huge problem for the Israelites. And I think he's saying it's a huge problem in the church of Corinth. And I propose to you this morning, it is maybe the problem of the American church. The particular sin. My son reminds me when I put these glasses on, I look angry. (laughs) Try not to be angry, okay? When 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 you hear the word revival... If I were to say to you people, by the way, we're the first generation here on this, since America was founded, to not have a revival, a real revival in our culture. It grieves me. And I wonder, God, when, because revivals, you can't make it up. I can't make it up, you know. I always love when I'm driving down the road and I see a church has scheduled revival Right, revival this week. I'm like, man, that's fantastic. I need to put that on my calendar. You know, like, it's a movement of the Lord. So I don't know what comes to your mind when I use the word revival. Maybe you've never even heard the word before, okay? But it, it, it's always great that throughout redemptive history, there's been great workings of God. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word revival. You know, maybe there's certain things, depending on your bent or the thing you're passionate about. You know, maybe for you, it's like, when I hear the word revival, I think about a tent and an evangelist coming in, you know, and I know you're probably from the South at that point, you know, and, and, and that's okay. And it's a scheduled thing. Or maybe you think when, when I think about revival, I think about prayer and a lot of people praying. Or maybe when you think about revival, you think about, man, the church is just so full of people that is standing room only. Maybe when you hear the word revival, you think about, you know, a group of people just singing nonstop. Maybe when you hear the word revival, you think of signs and wonders, you know, like there's these great manifestations of the Lord. Actually, in my mind, some of those things apply, especially the prayer piece, but none of those things apply at the level as this. When I hear the word revival, what comes to my mind in America is that we would be a people that understand the holy character of God and we are gripped by our sin and we long to repent of our sin and pursue the God of holiness. That's what comes to my mind. That when, 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 and if you read the history of revival, when the word of God is preached, people sometimes are crying out like, what do I need to do to be saved? And when it comes to a revival in America, as I was writing this sermon, I just, I kept thinking, when are we as Christians in America going to take the particular sin of sexual immorality seriously? Again, I'm not preaching at the end of them out there. Paul already has told us, he's instructed us in the letter, like unbelievers act like unbelievers, but Christians don't. They act like believers. And the overflow of a heart captured by Christ is holiness in the area of sex and sexuality and immorality and righteousness. When I think about revival, I think, man, when are the believing Christian singles, as they're dating, when are they going to say, you know what, we're not going to shack up before marriage because that is disobedience to the Lord. It's fornication. It's sex outside the bonds of marriage. When are we as singles going to say, man, enough of that? 
And some of you now are married, and I think, you know, that may have been your journey before you got married, and I think a way to even have revival in your own marriage is to go back and say to your spouse, you know what, I, uh, husbands, spiritual leaders, go back to your wife and say, you know what, I sinned against you then. I, don't need, I just need to repent. I need to ask your forgiveness. We got started on the wrong foot. Because listen, church, I see... Week in and week out, I see it in my office, the overflow of this. Sin, it's killing our culture, church culture. In pornography, maybe today's the day we get clean with this mess. Maybe today's the day you're bold enough to stand up and, and find somebody and confess your sin and say, I need help. Somebody in this room this morning, you're a Christian and you're having an affair. When are you going to say enough's enough? It's idolatry. It's the, it's the particular sin of idolatry. When are we as parents going to shepherd our teenagers and say, listen, I, I have them for a, senior, a season. I get it. They grow up and become adults. I have kind of kids in between that range. You kind of go, hey, you're an adult. You kind of got to do your thing. But while you're under my roof, man, I am in charge of protecting you from sexual sin, which means I'm not handing you electronics without it being as protected as best I can do it. If you get smarter than me in that area in IT, then I get the best I can do. But as best I can do, I'm protecting my teenagers. When am I going to say, when are we as parents going to say, you're not going out on a date where I don't know where you are every moment of the date so that I can protect your purity? Like we have to take this serious, church. This is the particular sin of idolatry. An idolatrous heart is the condition where we tell God, I don't care about your ways and your righteousness and your holiness. I don't care. God, I'd rather serve the lust of my flesh and indulge myself however I please. Because I know your word, but man, I want to do it my way. And maybe for some of you right now, the Spirit of God is convicting and maybe... Today is the day we stop playing games with the character of God and with his word and we repent of sin. Maybe, maybe today's the day revival starts, maybe just in your heart. Paul goes on with the results of idolatry. It's testing God. 1 Corinthians 10.9, we... We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and they were destroyed by serpents. Numbers chapter 21 is the picture here of people of Israel. They put God to the test. They put God to the test. They put God to the test and finally God sent some serpents and the serpent becomes a picture in John chapter 3 verse 14 where, where these serpents come in and they start killing the people of Israel and God tells uh, Moses to make a bronze serpent and lift it up. And if they look upon this bronze serpent, they'll be saved. And, and then in, in John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus is when he's teaching, he says, just like the bronze serpent was lifted up, I will be lifted up for the sins of the people. Okay, it was a type of, of the future of what Christ was going to do for us. But that all happened because they were testing God. And when I think about the Christian church, the American church and Christianity, I feel like we, it's like, God, how, 
how much can I be like the rest of the world and still be considered a Christian? As opposed to, how, how can I grow to be more holy and more righteous? We've got to stop trying so hard to fit in with everybody else. John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, John writes, don't love the world, the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not even in him. The third, the third result of an idolatrous heart is complaining. A root, at the root of complaining is a lack of satisfaction for God's will for your life. Listen, by the way, I, let me take my glasses off so I don't look so angry. Let me preach at me for a minute, okay? Like, this is a this is a root for me. I love to be a I'm the chief of whiners, okay? When God, when it's not there, right? And what do I do? What I mean, what is it at the root of that? What's at the root of complaining? At the root of complaining is God, you're sovereign, but I don't like where you've put me. My health, my kids. My financial status, my marriage status, the way that person's treating me, yada, 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 yada. It's God, yes, you're sovereign, but I don't, you know, we just sang about God being in charge of everything, right? With our hands raised and we swayed a little bit, but the reality is when we don't like our situation, we go right to complaining. And that's an idolatrous heart. Where the focus of my heart and mind is off this God who loved me so much he sent Christ, and now he's using all things to conform me into the image of his son, including my present circumstances, yes? And Paul then transitions to this idea that we need to have a healthy fear of our sin nature. See, here's why I think revival hasn't broken out. We really don't have a healthy fear of our own sin, Therefore, Paul says, verse 12, let anyone who thinks that he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful that he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Paul's saying here, we have to recognize our own sin nature and our own inclinations to exalt ourselves above Christ. We have to stop blaming every circumstance on Satan. You know, Satan, man, Satan made me do that. No, maybe it was your sin nature that made you do that, okay? And he's saying there's no temptation out there that's new to you. I've heard that a lot. Man, no one knows what I'm going through. Eh. Okay, no, there's no, there's no temptation that's new to man, That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, last week, Pastor Andrew hit on this, but verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body, I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul says there's spiritual disciplines in my life so that when temptation comes, I can overcome. Spiritual disciplines like being in prayer and being in the word and being in community and serving others, singing praises corporately with my brothers and sisters in Christ. These are disciplines that we put into our lives so that we can overcome temptation. 
Because here's the deal, the Corinthians, and tell me if this doesn't sound like the American church, the Corinthians are thinking that they can play nice with the sins of the world and they'll come away unscathed, unchanged. And Paul says, no, you, I'm challenging you to be fully committed to Christ. In fact, what's happening here, and I'm going to take a moment to give you, so Paul is, tri- there's a couple things happening with this meat issue, okay? One is it's being, it's being sold in the market, so that's one of the questions. But the other thing that's happening is in some of the idol, temple idols around this church in Corinth, after the temple sacrifices, there would be a meal at the temple, and probably some of the Corinthians are going and eating in these idolatrous temple meals, okay? And then the next day, they're taking the Lord's Supper chapter 11, okay, which we looked at a couple weeks ago. And so Paul's kind of saying, look, you can't, you can't journey through life with one foot in and one foot out. You have to follow Christ wholeheartedly. That's why Paul, he gives the same instruction to idolatry that he gives the sexual sin in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, free from idol- flee from idolatry. Don't take sin lightly. Sin always has far greater consequences than you can even imagine. See, that's one of the dangers of pornography, man. It's just me. No, sin. I loved what Pastor Andrew brought out a couple weeks ago uh, in chapter seven, I believe, in sexual sin, when he talked about sexual sin as a sin against the body. I'd never thought about this, and he suggested that maybe it wasn't just your body, but it was the body of Christ. Like, all of us are affected. Because we're the body of Christ trying to represent Christ to a community, and when we delve into sin, man, it's, we're dragging everybody with us. Think about that. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, right? You know this verse probably. No, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. I left off the part that says you can't. This is actually a verse about money, right? You can't serve God and money. But, but I think the, the broader principle is, man, our hearts have to be captured with Christ because you're gonna, you, are, you will serve one of the masters, whoever has ownership of your heart. And too many of us as believers, man, we're, we're trying to say, how close can I get to the things of the world and still be a Christian? That's the wrong question. And so we're getting the result of our own temptation. And so Paul concludes this section by raising the focus of the believer. I know I, I've breezed through this this morning. It's hard to cover 30-some verses in a short amount of time, but Paul raises the focus of the believer, and he says, listen, the goal, the goal is not to get as close to sin as possible and still be a Christian. Your goal is ultimately to bring glory to God, to worship God in all things. Again, remember the context. The question is, man, can I eat this meat or not eat this meat? And You know, we looked at that in chapter 8, and I kind of brought in alcohol, how that might be a modern-day example. That was one thing. And and I'll tell you what, if you missed last week's sermon, you need to listen to it online, bare minimum. Pastor Andrew challenged us. I'm going to come back to that at the end of this. 
But he says the principles of Christian freedom is you have this, yes, you have this freedom in Christ, but what's, it, what's the purpose? It's to build up others, not gratify ourselves. Yeah, you have freedom in Christ, but it's to make sure others are built up. Verse 23, all things are lawful, Paul says, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Is this action or this behavior that I'm choosing to do, is it building others up? Am I concerned about others or am I concerned about myself? Verse 24, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. It's the golden rule, right? I mean, Christ taught us this. And Paul's just reiterating it to this church. You, you have all this disunity in the church because you're running around using your Christian freedom and not thinking about anyone else. Listen, can you, could you imagine the world, a world where your neighbors... Everybody that lived around you, all your coworkers, could you imagine if they thought of you as more important than themselves? Man, how different would that be? Now let's change this, let's change the scenario because now you're like, yeah, I hate that neighbor of mine. He, she, you know. Let's change it to you. What if you ran through life going, hey, I'm going to look out for everyone else is more important than myself. How different would the marriages of Coastal Community Church be today if you went home and said, you know what, I'm going to put my spouse's needs above mine just today. How many of you are getting an elbow from your spouse right now? Like, that's a great idea. You should try that, right? I mean, how different would our marriages be if you had two people coming together saying, your needs are more important than my needs, Imagine the church of people that pulled their time, talent, and treasure saying, listen, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. It is not about me, and I'm going to, I'm going to be a part of this thing called the local church, and we're going to put others' needs above our own so that the gospel of Jesus Christ could go forward. Imagine the impact that church could make. Change the world. And so Paul says, listen, don't, you're, like, you're all caught up in, is it liberty or is it legalism? You're asking the wrong question. Verse 25, he says, eat whatever sold the meat market without raising questions on the grounds of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If, if one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go eat and eat whatever's set before you without raising questions on the ground of conscience. In other words, he's like, you're, you're getting bogged down and like, what, just, what, it's just meat, And then he says, you're, you're free to modify your actions because you love others. Verse 28, if someone says to you, this has been offered to a sacrifice, then don't eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I, I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should, the li why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, am, am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? In other words, you're, you have the freedom to eat, but... Think about others, because you're also free to deny yourself. Imagine a community of people saying, I'm actually here to serve others above all else. And so Paul lets us know, like, the purpose of Christian freedom above all else is to bring glory to God. 
1 Corinthians 10, 31 and 32. So, so whether you eat or whether you drink, I mean, I love this, ready? Let's say this next part out loud. So whether you eat or drink or what? Or whatever you do, let's do that together. So whether you eat or drink or what? Or whatever you do, do all for what, church? Glory of God. This is like the most basic stuff. Give, give no offense to Jews or Greeks or the church of God. I wish I had time to unpack what that means, all right? But basically you have this, this new move, the new covenant where the Jews and their background and the Greeks or the pagans that are now becoming believers, man, and there's, there's a clash of cultures going on in this new church and they're trying to figure it out. He says, man, you shouldn't be causing each other to stumble. Why? Because our focus should be on the glory of God. And what is one of the great ways that we bring glory to God? It's the salvation of others. It's taking the name and fame of Jesus Christ to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that many but that of many, that they may be saved. And I think chapter 11, verse one, belongs with this argument that Paul's making. Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Paul says, listen, I I don't get bogged down in this, or can I do this, or should I do this? I mean, you know, I'm making sure my heart is captured by Christ. My focus is on the glory of God so that others may have eternal life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am. This is an illustration I hope helps you. It helps me. James chapter 4 reminds us that our life is just a vapor, right? So I hope you can see this. I'm going to strike this match. I'm going to blow it out. And I want you to watch the smoke after I blow it out. Ready? According to scriptures, in the grand scheme of eternity, that's your life. According to the scriptures, in the grand scheme of eternity, man, that's, that's your existence here on earth. And then there's this thing called forever and ever 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 and ever. And we get hung up on, man, can I have a drink or not have a drink? Some of you are hung up, your neck deep in sexual sin. And this brief life you're using to indulge your flesh. So maybe this morning you're you're like hung up with, you got got one foot in the world and one foot out. You're You're trying to get as close to everyone else as possible. It's not a believer. And can I still be a Christian? And the scripture says your life is a vapor. And then it's over. And I think it's fair to ask, based on the conclusions chapter, man, did, did your, was your life used to share the gospel of Jesus with anyone? Did others hear about Christ because of you? Did you live in such a way that God received glory in all things? 
Last week I, um, I think I might do a by the way here. You know, by the way, when I, when I don't preach, that's, that's good for coastal, all right? So if I don't preach for a couple weeks in a row, no, I didn't take off, and where have you been? Like, just hold those questions to yourself, okay? Because sometimes God's working on me too, okay? I need to sit and hear the Word of God. And last week, man, I heard the Word of God, and I was actually sitting in the back, and I just didn't want to leave. And the Lord was working me over through the preached word, and, and man, I was like, I, I need to change, like, I need to repent, and I need to change my focus, and I made an observation, by the way, this will be another by the way, like, like, I just wanted to sit there, and what was interesting, as we transitioned to the last song, I probably watched 20 or 30 people just get up and rush out, I get sometimes you got work to do, you gave your, you know, people work, things like other things you got to do, but there's this other side of me, it's like, man, you couldn't stay for five more minutes and just soak up corporate worship with your brothers and sisters, like your life's that busy, that five more minutes of basking in the word and singing praise to God with brothers and sisters Christ, you just couldn't give us a few more, it was shocking to me, really, because I never sit in the back, I always sit up here, but, but I sat in the back of the service, I didn't want to leave. I didn't really want to be the pastor for a few minutes, right, where I had to minister. I just wanted to soak in what the Spirit of God was challenging me with. And I think the, what Pastor Andrew put in front of us is the same thing Paul puts in front of us today. Am I serious about giving my all for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because it's a vapor, And I thought this morning as I was preparing this, I was thinking about Matthew 25 where God says one day, the judgment, I'm going to gather like a shepherd gathers the sheep and the goats. And the shepherd's going to know the difference and the shepherd's going to say some to eternal life and some to eternal punishment. And, I, and, and somehow, in the, I don't get all this, the mystery to me, but somehow in the middle of all this, this vapor of my life means something. God chooses to use me to be a part of moving the gospel forward. How cool is that? Yet I get focused on, man, I wonder how the IRA's doing and the 401k and the, man, I don't have as big of a house and the boat. And on and on it goes of all the things I don't have. Oh, by the way, let me indulge my sexual sin along the way. Instead of, man, eternity is in the balance. And I want my, not only do I want to be saved, but I want to make sure I give every person I know the opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I want to do all for the glory of God. Isn't that you? Isn't that you? It's two people. That's me. And so here's what I'm going to do. I don't want you to rush out this morning. I don't want you to rush out this morning. I want you to bow your head with me and just say, Lord, search me. Know me. Lord, there is a sin that has a stranglehold on my life. And this morning I confess it. Let's just take a moment and let the Holy Spirit take the Word of God and change us. Bow your head and close your eyes.
Heavenly Father, this morning we we just pause and we ask the question, are, are we serious about eternal things? Or are we captured by a heart of idolatry where really all we care about is self? Heavenly Father, we want, we want to use our lives, this thing called a vapor, this, this puff of smoke called our life, God, that <clears throat> has some difference for eternity. We want, to, we want to be used to bring glory to you and to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Above all else, Paul says, man, I do these things so that some might be saved. And he says to the church, follow me as I follow Christ. And would there be people behind us that you could say, hey, you can follow me because I'm following God's son. And I discipline my body so that my life's message is not disqualified. God, for the one in this room this morning that's heart has been captured by sexual sin, God, maybe today is the day they know the freedom from shame and guilt. That sin has been paid for on the cross. Christ paid for that, and he rose again from the grave, authenticating his absolute power to take forgiveness of sin upon himself. May that person know the freedom that comes in the gospel of Christ alone. May we be a church that's captured by the gospel of Jesus Christ, bringing glory to God in all things above all else. Help us as a church to be one, to serve together the body of Christ, pulling our time, talent, and treasure so that the gospel of Christ would go forward above all things. That men and women would be called into repentance and faith in your son Jesus. He's the only hope. He's the shepherd that will separate the sheep from the goats. And we lift up the message. It's in Jesus' name I pray.